0: Welcome, everybody, to Wednesday nights here at Journey the Church. Very grateful that you're here tonight, especially if this is your first time or second time or if you've been here every single Wednesday night. We're very grateful that you're here. I want to begin with a little exercise. Uh, It's going to be on the screen in, in just about like one second. Ready, set, Go. So if this is your first time ever seen a Where's Waldo book, you might not know what's going on right now. You might be wondering, like, what is happening? What are we supposed to be doing right now? What is everybody looking for? You know, as a kid, we used to have a ton of these books. And what's funny about these, these books is that as we aged the books aged too you know they they became torn and ripped up creased folded bent streaked with boogers and blood and greasy fingers but on each page there lies a new adventure a new hunt to discover where's waldo where's that tall skinny man with the blue jeans and that red and white striped long sleeve t-shirt, that red and white striped beanie, those black, thick, circle-rimmed glasses, maybe a camera around his neck, a, a wooden cane in his hand. Where is Waldo? But you know, you know what I always found? You, you want to find out where Waldo is first of all? All right, we can go to the next slide. There he is, right there. I know it's still it's still really small for everyone, right? Yeah, all right, well, quit your complaining, quit your complaining. What I always found when we were searching for Waldo, look, you see the the white lines that points to where it actually is in the picture. Genius, right? So anyways, what I always found as I would go through these Where's Where's Waldo books is that my eyes would just drift. You know, they, they would seem to drift and focus and change and shift from Where's Waldo to like what's going on here. What else is happening? Well, if we look at this picture, there's a lot that's also happening here that we could be distracted by. For instance, there's a dog wearing sunglasses, There's a woman wearing snow clothes at the beach, a knight in shining armor, and a boy hitting his mom with a shovel. But you know, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, the people of God, they must have been living in a Where's Waldo experience. The people of God in the ancient world must have been living in a Where's Waldo experience. The people of God were living in eager expectation and anticipation for the Messiah, for the Christ, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world. But where is he? Not Where's Waldo, but where's the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world? Well, first of all, what does he look like? What does he look like? Uh, What are we supposed to be looking for? Depending on whom you ask, you might get a lot of different answers. It might yield different results. Some might say, well, we're looking for a political leader. Other people might have said, well, we're looking for a military strategist or a a warrior or a king or, or even a suffering servant. And as you're searching and searching and searching, For this Messiah figure, how easy it is during this search to let the eyes drift and lose focus and change and shift from where's the Messiah, where's the Christ, where's the Anointed One, where's the Savior of the world to something else. We lose track of what we're looking for, we lose track of what we truly want. But when we come face to face with it, when we come face to face with Jesus, we are confronted by this question, what do you want and what are you really looking for? Those are actually the very first words of Jesus, the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. What do you want? You can also translate that, what are you looking for? So let's get to it. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand with me? We're going to read from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. It begins the following day, that is the day after John the baptizer had this encounter with Jesus. John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Lord Jesus, we are looking for you tonight. We are looking for you to produce change in our lives, hope in our lives, truth in our lives. And God, we want to hear from you tonight. Open up our minds, help us to be diligent, To not just sit back and tune out, but Lord, to focus on you. That's our prayer tonight, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So our section here begins with a little flyby. A little flyby from Jesus, and John the Baptizer looks at Jesus and says, Look! In Greek, it's idae. It means behold, or look, or check it out, or see. Now, the theme of sight is going to be really huge in our passage tonight. So I want you to pay attention to those words that we see. See, look, found, find. All of these images of sight, be sure to look out for them. He says, Look! There is the Lamb of God. Now that's an interesting thing to say. The Lamb of God. We often sing about the Lamb of God, worthy is the Lamb. But what does that actually mean? He's referring to Jesus as the Lamb of God, but what does that mean? So let's do some table talk, some exploration tonight. Why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? You might need to access Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, to help formulate your answer. If you don't have a Bible, you definitely need one. There's some on the back tables for you. Get started. Ready? Go. All right, well, let's bring it back together. Sounds like the conversations are, are dying down. John hints early on in his gospel that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that at his crucifixion, Jesus represents The Passover offering. So to understand this, we have to go back to Exodus like you all did. And we have to think about that fateful night where God commanded the people of Israel to sacrifice a lamb and paint their doorposts with the blood of this animal. And then when the death angel came, he struck down the firstborn of those who didn't have Bloody doorposts, and this prompted Pharaoh to let the people go. So it's strange that God wouldn't pick like a more vicious animal, like the Velociraptor of God, or like the Tiger Shark of God. But it makes sense to realize that this animal. Gets sacrificed, and in this sacrificial system, as this lamb gets sacrificed, it represents in a way Jesus and his death on the cross. Jesus becomes like the Passover lamb's sacrifice to paint the doorpost, which led to the Israelites' freedom from slavery. And in similar manner, Jesus' death leads to our freedom from sin. So at this look, there is the Lamb of God announcement. Two of John the baptizer's disciples decide to pick up and leave and go follow Jesus. If I were John, I'd be like, dude, like, where are you going? I I thought you were with me, but they're not abandoning John for a better teacher. They're doing exactly what John had instructed them to do, to follow Jesus. The two began to follow Jesus and took the first steps toward discipleship. Well, let's continue with verse 38a. Jesus looked around and saw. Do you already see that right there? We have look and saw. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. The Greek puts it more plainly. What are you looking for? Or what are you seeking What do you want, or what are you seeking, or what are you looking for? Now, we could understand that question from Jesus, the very first words of Jesus in this gospel, on a number of levels. First level, straightforward. What do you want? What are you looking for? Waldo? A contact lens? A good time? Or we could understand that on a deeper level, a second level, a spiritual level, we might say, What do you want? What are you looking for? In other words, what do you really want in life? Oh, that's deep, right? What do you want in life? I think Jesus' first statement in the Gospel of John is actually what the Gospel of John is all about. What do you want? What are you looking for? I think that's what our lives are all about. What do you want? What are you looking for? So go ahead, let's do some more table talk. What do you want in life? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? And then how does your daily life actually reflect this wanting, seeking, looking desire? Ready, go. I think if we are true and faithful disciples of Jesus, we might say, well, what do we want in life? You, Jesus. We, we want you completely. We're looking for you. Now, Jesus here gives the two disciples of John an opportunity to become his own disciples. But it seems like they're not quite ready for that big commitment, at least not yet. And they replied in verse 38b, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now that sounds like a strange response to Jesus's question, which was, "What do you want?" And they ask him a question, right? Like, well, "Where are you staying?" It's very strange, but it's got kind of got the essence of like, "Well, can we get coffee, or can we continue on with you in this relationship, or or something like that?" Verse thirty-nine a says, "Come and see." That's what Jesus said. Come. And see, and I love that response. It's a, a response of invitation, of an ongoing, continuing relationship. This come and see is very much like the previous statement we saw. What do you want or what are you looking for? It's packed with theological significance. We can understand it on multiple levels. It's not just like come and check out my, my place, my pad, where I'm staying right now. Here's the couch, here's the fridge, all that stuff. No, it's like come and And be involved with me. I have a friend from church who, over the summer, he bought his kids a trampoline, and he said, "You gotta come check it out." And I was like, "Okay, cool." Like politely, like, "Yeah, okay, I'll I'll check it out sometime, whatever." But it like wasn't good enough for him. He was like, "No, you gotta really come." I've seen a a trampoline before; they all kind of look the same. Well, I kind of blew him off in a polite way, like, "Yeah, whatever." And then like. The next week, he kept pestering me. When are you going to come check out the trampoline? I'm like, I don't know. Like, y'all, I'll come by sometime. And week after week after week, he kept bugging me to come and see his trampoline. like, apparently my okay, like, yeah, I'd I'd love to come see it was not good enough for him. And he started, like, guilt tripping me. He was like, you're our pastor. My kids would love to, to have you come over. I'm like, ugh. And then he brings out the Bible. He goes biblical on me. He's like, you know, in the Bible, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I'm like, dude. Said, okay, okay, I will come and see your trampoline. So one evening, I go over and check out the trampoline. It's just like any other tramp. Okay, cool. Your kids are, are jumping on the trampoline. It wasn't good enough for him. He's like, no, you got to jump on the trampoline with me. All right, all right, whatever. So I jump on the trampoline, and the experience of jumping on the trampoline was awesome. You know, it it actually brought me back. I was doing, like, front flips, back flips, all this stuff. He was a little too big, I mean, for that. But uh, it was an entirely different experience than... Just saying, okay, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll come and see it sometime. No, coming and seeing and experiencing that, it brought me back to childhood days, to memories in the backyard of my friend's house. I had an entirely different experience, a fuller experience. Now, the disciples, they could not engage with Jesus and experience Jesus from a distance, right? And that's kind of what we do with our lives. We... We serve him or follow him or we're disciples of Jesus at a distance sometimes. But no, they they had to come and see and experience Jesus with totality. Only by coming to Jesus could they really comprehend what seeking him actually meant. And so they came and they saw. Verse 39b says, It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. So the two men accepted Jesus' invitation to come and see, and they, they stayed with him the rest of the day. Verse 40 says, Andrew, we find out that one of these individuals was named Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John, what John said and then followed Jesus. So we've got a name to put to the face, Andrew. Andrew, who will become one of the twelve. Andrew, who is actually my newest favorite character of the Bible. I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment. But we've got Andrew and an unnamed man, a man that some, some scholars think, oh, maybe this is the author of the Gospel of John. I don't know. We, we don't have much to go on there. But it says this in verse 41 that Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found, again, we have that sight language. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. If you happen to be successful at Where's Waldo? This evening, which I don't think anyone was because Waldo was so incredibly small. But if you were, like, what would be your automatic response, your your automatic impulse to sit on your hands and say, I found him? Or, like, you're really excited and and you, you say, well, there he is, but I'm not telling anyone. No, I think your automatic impulse would be like to point and shout, there he is, there he is. And that's exactly what Andrew does. He found his brother. And told him, we have found the Messiah. What's the Messiah? What's that mean? Well, the title Messiah, which is in Aramaic, or Christ in Greek. Remember, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's a title explaining who he is. It means anointed one. And this anointed one in Israel was originally any priest or any king who... Led the people. They would be anointed. But as time passed on, God gave prophecies of a coming king who would be in the line of David, who would free the Israelites and establish God's rule over the whole earth. And so, this idea of the coming anointed one, it crystallized. It came together in this title Messiah Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's what Messiah means here. Verse 42 says, Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And this is what I love about Andrew. This is why he's my new favorite character of the Bible. Every time we see Andrew in John's gospel, he's bringing somebody to Jesus, he's always bringing somebody. It's not that he doesn't like to be alone or anything like that, but he's doing what disciples should do. He brings Simon Peter here in chapter 1. In chapter 6, he brings a boy with loaves of bread and fish. He brings some random Greeks in chapter 12. He serves as an excellent example of what disciples of Jesus should do. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is an Aramaic name or a word in the common language of Palestine. It was the original language of the day, and it means rock. But as Peter's character unfolds in the Gospels, he's anything but a rock. Uh, He might be like a rock when it comes to being dull or hard-headed, but he was impulsive, volatile, unreliable. He was more like getting struck by a rock. I think that would be a better explanation of Peter's name, but Jesus named Peter in view of what he would become by God's power, not by what his past defined him as. Not what he was way back when, and that's what God does to us too. It's not. It's not you're not defined by your past. Your past is important. Right? Maybe it shapes who you are, but God, God views you and has a new plan for your life. Well, the next day, verse 43 and 44, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Why? We don't know. But uh, he did have that save the date to the wedding at Cana, which is coming up next week. Awesome story. Uh, It was about a two-day trip that he has to go on here. But he found Philip. That's a Greek name. It means lover of horses. has nothing to do with our passage tonight, but it's just a little factoid you could take home. I learned something about Philip means lover of horses. Well, he found Philip. And said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew in Peter's hometown. So Jesus finds Philip somewhere along the way, or probably just in Galilee, and says to him, come follow me. Verse 45 says, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? So this is probably like a local expression of jealousy among towns. Kind of like what we have with high schools and stuff. Like, oh, you go to Cam High? Oh, you go to Rio? Sorry, man. Let me pray for you. Let me lay hands on you (laughs) right now. But like, can anything good come from Oxnard? You know? Ooh, that hurt, huh? I hurt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A lot of good can come from Oxnard. A lot of good. To not so much. Newbury Park. Eh. Westlake definitely not. But anyways, uh, Nazareth had this like insignificant reputation. All the Oxnard people are not happy right now. That's alright. That's alright. I love Oxnard. At least for Nathaniel, he viewed Nazareth as insignificant. Nathaniel came from a neighboring town, Cana. So you have this maybe cross-town type of rivalry going on. Nathaniel doubted that Messiah could come from such a lowly place as Nazareth. but what does Philip say here? He says to Nathaniel, "Come and see. Where have we heard that before?" Oh, Jesus said that just a couple of verses before. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Philip here invites Nathanael to come in and experience Jesus. To come and see. Verses 47 and 48. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Now that's quite a compliment from Jesus. From the word of God, who was God and was with God, who is... I mean, imagine God saying that to you. I know he wouldn't say that to me, but that would be great if he said it to you, you know, something like that. Like, this is a woman of complete integrity. You know, it's something we should strive for. But Nathaniel, he's, he's lived a life in which that seems to, to be true doesn't mean he's perfect by any means, but it just means that he's, he's a person who does right when no one's watching. And we see that come into play here in just a minute. If, uh, he's kind of confused, though, Nathaniel. In verse 48, he says, How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now, what was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Some people think he was like meditating or praying or worshiping. We don't know, knitting or kickboxing. I don't know what he was doing. But but maybe the fig tree is significant because later on rabbis would sit under the shade and study and teach from it. Or maybe the fig tree is significant because elsewhere in the Bible it's used as a symbolic image of plenty and prosperity and peace. We we don't know. but But verse 49 says, Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Kind of a strange interaction we have going on here. Jesus' simple, I could see you under the fig tree statement, it's got Nathanael all all spun right here. He begins to say things that are, are pretty profound, a dramatic reaction. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. He doesn't... It's not just that, like, Jesus is good at Where's Waldo or I Spy or something like that. He's got supernatural cheating abilities. I think that's what's going on here. Yeah, Nathaniel's doing a good job being a man of integrity, doing what's right when no one's watching. But Jesus supernaturally happens to be watching, and Nathaniel's just blown away by this. Verse 50, Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. In other words, Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. And Nathaniel believed that Jesus was the Messiah based off very little evidence here. Uh, You saw me in a supernatural way under the fig tree. Well, Jesus is going to give him plenty more basis to solidify a foundation of faith in the future. But I want to ask just a very simple question, but a very difficult question. Why do you believe or not in Jesus? Go ahead. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up with our final verse tonight. You guys can continue talking about that question after we close out in prayer. But just uh, our last verse for tonight It's verse 51. Jesus continues his conversation. It says, Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and heaven. And Earth Now, as a stairway, Jesus makes travel and communication between two levels possible. Jesus was promising Nathaniel here that, that he would be access to God and communication with God, that God had revealed himself to Israel way back in Genesis 28, in the form of the man, uh, Jacob, sorry, in a dream at Bethel. Now, God would reveal himself to a true Israelite, Nathanael, to all Israel and to the world through, directly through Jesus. So, the takeaway that I want to leave you with tonight is pretty simple. I want you to walk away with the questions. What do you want? What are you really seeking in life? What are you looking for? Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus invites us into a relationship of coming and seeing and experiencing God. Jesus invites us to come and see greater things than we could ever imagine. So come and see. Whether that means keep coming on Wednesday nights, keep coming on on Sunday mornings, get involved in a Bible study. We've got great Great times where you can get involved. There's a men's breakfast coming on Saturday, but serve at your, at your homes. Serve at your work. Serve everywhere you go. Love Jesus and invite him into your life and into your entire world. Let him change that atmosphere that you're walking through each and every day. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have invited us to come and see. And we know you're doing great and amazing, mighty things. And we thank you for that. We want to answer that question, what what do we want? We want to answer that honestly. And I know that for many of us, the, the what do we want is really clouded, where our eyes are chasing after so many other things apart from you. But help us to fix our eyes, to learn that fulfillment really comes from you, God. And all the things we truly want are found in you. So we love you and we praise you. And we want to know you in a deeper, more powerful way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.